Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our Western Conference Breakdown. And of course, we had to bring back our guests from the Eastern Conference Breakdown here to discuss the Western Conference. So from TV on Basketball, please welcome TV. How's it going, guys? You know we got to finish off the league, man. We only talked about the East last week. Let's talk about the West. Yes, sir. And we shouldn't waste any more time. So let's start with the first Western Conference team, the Dallas Mavericks. So TV, I'm going to start with you. We recently had Lauren Gunn on the podcast, and we discussed the possibility of the Mavericks finishing 10th and barely sneaking in the play-in tournament. Is there a chance that the Mavericks make it through the play-in tournament as they go up against teams like the Warriors, the Spurs, and the Grizzlies? I think that the Mavericks, whether they're in the play-in tournament, whether or if they somehow still make it to the play-in tournament, I still think they're going to get through. Um, Luka Doncic has proven that he's having a top five, top, um, top six NBA season. And what I like from the um, Dallas Mavericks, at least as of late, is that they're kind of peaking at the right time. I mean, obviously, they had the struggles early on in the season. Kristaps Porzingis in and out the lineup. I mean, that's still probably the case right now. But the addition of J.J. Redick, you're getting like some big gains from Tim Hardaway Jr., especially over this last week and a half or so. It just feels like the Mavs are starting to figure it out. And when you have a player as influential as Luka Doncic, he is just turning to one of those players where no matter what, I mean, he's kind of turning like he's almost at kind of that top five level, like Steph Curry or something like that, where no matter what, you always have to like give them the edge. And I think with Luka Doncic, um, Dallas is going to like get through no matter what. I think the big thing TV is that I, I think they're going to be able to Dallas to play in all together. They're sitting around like five right now in terms of the Western conference, you know, the Lakers with the fact that LeBron James is going to miss the next couple of games with the injury is going to be huge in terms of where they land in the standings. And the other thing is, even if you compare their, their, their uh, close to the season to the Lakers, the Lakers have a much tougher way to getting out of the play in area than the Mavericks do. I mean, the Mavericks get the, the, the Cavaliers twice, they get the they get Toronto, they get the Timberwolves. Like they've got a couple of games that I'm not gonna say are gimmies because you know at the end of the season everybody's trying to play spoiler. But at the end of the day, they've got a couple of games towards the end of this stretch that are gonna be able to help them keep themselves within that five six range. I think that's just about where they're gonna float. I think the Lakers, they're in a position. You know, they're coming off that win against the Nuggets, very unlikely, but you know, very big game by AD. That's one of the big things that's keeping them in the mix. But I don't see why the Mavericks can't hover around five. But if they were to fall into the play-in tournament, like you said beforehand, we're talking about being able to put your money on somebody. Luka Doncic has been a guy who you can look at in the entire season and say that in a one-game elimination situation, you have to feel pretty confident that he's going to be able to put his team out. Now, Tim Hardaway Jr., Kristaps Porzingis, I think Jalen Brunson is always kind of clutching these situations too as a guy who can be really – who can play big minutes in games that really matter. I think when you have those kind of guys um, across the board, there's no reason why Dallas wouldn't be able to hang. I, like I said, I think they're going to dodge the play-in, but whether it's the Grizzlies or the Warriors, maybe even the Spurs, I think that Dallas can hold their own and they're going to be able to lock up one of these spots. Yeah, 100%. And I like the um, the fact that you mentioned there that their schedule is very, very easy to end, to finish it off. I mean, they have one team over 500, which is the Brooklyn Nets, who they'll be facing tomorrow night as of recording. And besides that, I mean, the only other team that's even at 500 that they're facing is the Memphis Grizzlies. So they've been very fortunate to have this um, end of the year type of schedule. The Lakers are definitely going to have a harder road, especially with LeBron James in at the lineup. 
they might want to rest AD still. Who knows what's going to happen at the end of this? So, I think when it comes to like them like getting out the playing tournament, I think they're pretty safe. Moving on to the Denver Nuggets, Jalen, I'm going to start with you on this one. The Nuggets were a team on the rise after they traded for Aaron Gordon. However, Jamal Murray was injured a couple weeks ago, and they just picked up Austin Rivers. With the Nuggets holding the third seed right now, will Jamal Murray's injury affect how far they go in the playoffs? Oh, I mean, hands down, for sure. When you have a guy like that, in terms of having a pick-and-roll partner next to uh, Nikola Jokic, there's no way in the world that his impact won't be felt. I'll say this, though. The big thing that's been, that's, that really stood out with the Nuggets is that it's the next-up uh, next mentality has really seeped throughout their roster. There was a time frame in terms of when Jamal Murray first went down, Will Barton started going ballistic. Then Will Barton went out of the, uh, went out of the lineup. And next thing, next thing you know, MPJ started going crazy. And he's been having a really solid season for most of the year. I think one of the bigger things with them, too, is that the Nuggets are on a little bit of a roll. You know what I mean? Ever since that loss to the Warriors, like, at late April, they've put a pretty good stretch together. Now, don't get me wrong. It's been against some pretty bum teams. Um, they got the Pelicans, the Raptors. They've got uh they've got the the Clippers here and there and stuff like that to kind of really kind of solidify themselves. But I think the bigger thing in playoff setting is that it's guard heavy, man. Nikola Jokic is at the MVP at the top of the MVP race, but it's guard heavy across the Western Conference. And having a guy like Jamal Murray out, we saw what he did in the playoffs last season. There's no way to discount that. And I, I mean, he had a lot to do with a lot of what the ways those three one comebacks were able to be completed. So, I mean, you can't just lose a, a, a player of that caliber and not feel it in a playoff setting. I'll just say that I think that in the initial round, if they if things end where they are right now, where the Nuggets stay at this four seat, which is highly plausible, if the Mavericks stay where they are, it's a Nuggets-Mavericks series um, to kick things off. I think that's a series that without Jamal Murray, they could really be on notice and with a guy like, you know, Luka Dodge is really firing. So I think that they have to be careful because missing a guy like that is going to force some of their other guards, P.J. Dozier, um, guys of that nature to really step up. And I don't know if they can really fit the bill against a guy like Luka. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the Jamal Murray thing, I mean, although um, so far without him, they are 10-2. and two. So they, they've been definitely um, have the record to show out that they've been actually playing pretty good. But one game that I really want to focus on, especially with this team, it was that loss to the Lakers. And Nicole Jokic doing his MVP type thing, 32 points in this one. He was playing absolutely fantastic. But this is the game where you needed a Jamal Murray and a defensive struggle, someone that could create their own shot um, from the outside, just someone to help out Nicole Jokic because no one else on that team really could um, get things going. I mean, Michael Porter Jr., sure, but at the same time, he's grown accustomed to more of an off-ball type um, role now like with the um, Denver Nuggets and the thing about this Nuggets team is like unless they avoid the Lakers or the Clippers in the first round like I, I think the second round is just their ceiling and without like without Jamal Murray you just don't have the, that type of perimeter player to kind of um, go up like you talk about Luka possibly in the first round I mean say if they avoid that they could possibly face the, um, the Phoenix Suns in the second round and you still don't have anyone to kind of match up with a Devin Booker and stuff like that so Either way, you're going to, um, in a guard-heavy West, it's going to be definitely extremely tough to proceed further, especially without someone of Jamal Murray's caliber. I think the Nuggets are at a position right now where they're going to have to really look themselves in the mirror and look down their roster and really, you know, I think this is an MPJ kind of situation. This is one of those things last season during the playoffs, he was talking about it being too, too guy-centric in terms of Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic pretty much running the offense and nobody else getting touches. MPJ is going to be heavily featured throughout this. 
hey, put your money where your mouth is. I think that's the situation that he's going to be walking into. Exactly, exactly. Moving on to Golden State. And TV, I want to start with you on this one. What are Steph Curry's MVP chances if he gets the Warriors into the playoffs? Uh, I everyone wants to talk about this whole Steph Curry narrative, but it's just it's just not it's just not a thing. I'm so sorry, but Steph Curry is having just as good of a season as any of his MVP seasons, but he just does not have the record to back it up. If I'm being generous, top five MVP candidates, but I would still put people like a Giannis, like a like even a Chris Paul with who has less in stats, but has like a bigger like has like the impact on winning. I I would have those guys in front of Steph. And that's not like a um, anything against him. I mean, he's having another historic season, the fourth season, I believe, of 300 threes, which is absolutely ridiculous. But it, it, he just got put in an unfortunate situation. Obviously, Kelly Oubre also is also going to miss time now due to a wrist injury. It's just been another unfortunate season for the Warriors. I think all they got to hope for now is hopefully Clay comes back next year, because you know they, so they can get try and get back to kind of their winning ways. But as of Steph Curry, I mean, it's it's been a fun watch. 100% has been a fun watch. But his MVP chances, it just kind of, especially with the amount of great um, players that have been, like, showing out this year, I can't put him, like, honestly, I can't even put him in the top three. I mean, I have to agree with TV on this one in terms of his chances, just out of the mere fact that a late surge shouldn't make your stake just because of the fact that, it's very injury, uh, that the season's been very injury riddled. I think the other thing, too, is, look, there was a year in which we had gripes about Russell Westbrook or people, I'll say, had gripes about Russell Westbrook winning the MVP. And it pretty much was narrative driven around him having a triple, having averaging a triple double. But other than that, the record, he was middle of the pack in the Western Conference. Most people look at that and say, if you don't have a top two record, top three record within your conference, you honestly can't even be in the discussion out of the fact that winning, at least to a handful of people, matters in these kind of conversations. Steph Curry and the Warriors, they started out extremely slow, and that's hurt them. Now, don't get me wrong. It definitely should feel good for Warriors fans to look at them and see that they played themselves out of instead of being just a week or two, they were the 10th seed that was just fighting their tails off. And Steph Curry was having to drop 40 plus a night on a regular basis just to play them up. Now they're in the now they're legitimately in the eighth spot right now. They're three games behind of the Trailblazers with still a little bit of a chance to maybe sneak up in the seven and put themselves in a little bit better of a pocket, especially with the Lakers still slowly kind of dwindling. I mean, I think that Steph Curry's season should be respected, but MVP. I gotta, I gotta agree with TV. I think top five is even being generous. Yeah, hundred percent. And look, I mean, Steph Curry, his game is like kind of built to like last longer than most people. He's probably gonna have another three hundred three point season. And if the Warriors can even get close to what they were like in the past, you know, possibly getting um, maybe trading James Wiseman in the offseason as well. There's possibility for them to get back up to that number one, number two seed, possibly in even like another run at a title. And if Steph continue, um, continues to do what he's doing this year, which I I could still see happening over the next two to three years, he'll be back in those conversations no matter what. But this year, it just it just can't be it. It just can't be it. Moving on to the Houston Rockets. And Jalen, I want to start with you on this one. With the rise of Christian Wood and with the development of Kevin Porter Jr. and Kenya Martin Jr., what is the ceiling of this Houston Rockets team? I mean, this is going to be a team that's focusing more on their ability to acquire assets, man. I think with the fact that they also have guys like John Wall on their roster still, Eric Gordon is a guy who's been kind of lost in the fray in all of this that has to be a trade chip somewhere down the line. 
I think the mere fact that they kind of fumbled the bag when it came to the Victor Oladipo acquisition and then trading him to Miami, that's kind of made things a little bit dicey in terms of their future as well. This is going to be a team that's going to be on the fence. They're just lucky they have their own pick this year in one of the best draft classes that we've had in a little while. So I think they just got to keep their fingers crossed on a top flight guy who can handle the rock. I think Kate Cunningham is obviously the guy they're praying for to be able to put at that point guard spot. But I mean, at the end of the day, I think that the Rockets are in a position where they're going to be able with certain talent that they have playing at a significant upside, especially if they get Christian Wood for a full season. I think they've got the kind of talent that maybe hang around the play in. I don't think they're nearly as bad on paper as the 15th worst team or the 15th team in the Western Conference. But I see them as a team that's fighting for a playing spot, but I can't necessarily pencil them in the way maybe I feel about a team like the Pelicans who are just outside of the play-in right now. But I feel I feel like they're going to be in the mix every single year. Yeah. And I think like the big thing about the Rockets, like moving forward in terms of them, like maybe trying to figure out um, how good this team is going to be is this draft class. I mean, Jalen mentioned it. This is probably one of the best draft classes we've had. And quite a bit with people like Evan Mobley, like people like Kate Cunningham, Jalen Suggs, and all of them. I mean, there's a lot of options to go, especially with the Rockets potentially having a number one pick. There's plenty of guys there that can turn your franchise around. And say if you get something like a Kate Cunningham, we don't know how good he's going to be in the NBA. I mean, this guy could be maybe like a franchise changer. Pair that with people like Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood, who have shown great flashes of of excellence um, this season. I think, I mean... Maybe not right away. I mean, I kind of agree with J- um, with Jalen. I mean, m- maybe like if they if Kate Cunningham actually shows out and becomes like a very good player, possibly in the plan for now. But as those guys just continue to develop, I mean, these guys are in their early to mid twenties. There's a lot of time for this team, and I think they're willing to play the long game. That's why they traded away James Harden. That's why they traded away Oladipo. I mean, they they tried to compete, but they're like, you know what? This isn't going anywhere. It's best if we just um, go for the full out rebuild. And it's probably best for the future. They have a bunch of picks going forward. Who knows what those Brooklyn picks are going to turn into if this if that team um, just absolutely breaks apart in the next four to five years. There, there's a potential in this Houston Rockets team, and they already have some good pieces to kind of build off of. Yeah, I mean, you also have to look at the fact John Wall is still a guy who down the line, as he gets further through his contract, is going to be something that's going to be more liable as a trade chip. They've still got Eric Gordon on the books. They brought in Kelly Olenek. He's a guy who I'm sure somewhere around the trade deadline is always going to get discussed pretty heavily. Sean Tate is a guy who's been playing relatively well he's for good. them as well that we haven't really you know, brought up very much. But he's a guy who could also – I mean, he could be thrown into the all-rookie conversation in terms of those three teams. So I think – I mean, they have a really interesting circumstance with the kind of guys that they have. Their top end is is relatively okay, but we got to see what they do with some of these picks. That's the part that's going to really stand out to me because the Rockets have not really been a team that we've worried about what they do in the draft for a little while. So the fact that they're going to have to be real talent evaluators for the first time in, what, probably half a decade – Gonna have to see what they do with this new regime and the fact that they have a new coach at the top, uh, Steven Silas. Then it's gonna be huge to see how they go about next year, knowing that they're gonna have Christian Wood off the top, knowing that they're gonna have a guy like Kevin Porter Jr. to work with and things like that. Moving on to the Los Angeles Clippers and TV, I'll start with you. The Clippers were a team last year with a lot of high expectations, but they failed to reach the finals with a team that had a lot of talent last year. If the Clippers do not reach the finals this year, do you believe that PG and Kawhi will leave the Clippers? No, I do not think so. I mean, they already have PG locked up for the what next four to five years already. So I think they're safe on that end. And from all reports, I mean, 
if unless there's like another monumental collapse or something, or if like the Clippers just have this like just big bow up, I don't see Kawhi leaving either. This is his hometown. He's extremely comfortable, and it's going to be a team that's going to be competing for the next two to three years. I don't. I mean, maybe they might not figure it out this year, but you know, in the next few years, they they could still kind of figure it out. I mean, these two guys they definitely disappointed last year, but with another year under their belt, a team that. I mean, they still haven't played a lot together, but I still feel more comfortable with these team going to the playoffs compared to last year. I just think that with the way like both these guys are, their personality stuff, I just feel like they're just comfortable in this situation. And um, they probably talked this over. They probably talk a lot about like kind of what like the future holds for at least the Clippers team. And I think the Clippers are quite confident like whether, I mean, obviously a second round um, exit would be another kind of disappointing season. But at the end of the day, I think that Kawhi, um, want to stay here long term, and I think he's going to stand by that. I mean, I have to agree with that. I mean, of course, when we talk about PG, the only way that you can move off of PG at this point is through using him as a trade chip, and that's extremely hard to do with the fact that the dude just signed a maximum contract extension. So he's he's there to stay. He's a guy who already picked this up. Obviously, Kawhi Leonard is the odd man out because he's the guy that kind of keeps his foot right there at the door but never seems to step in or out. And I think he's trying to evaluate just where this season is going overall. But I don't think he's going to leave because my first thought process is who's going to throw the money at him? I mean, I think that the most interesting name that could come to, to mind in terms of a team might be the New York Knicks, who are going to have a lot of bread this offseason and look competent and very interesting as a team. So I think maybe there's somebody who might be able to make a, make a play for it. But overall, I don't see any reason why Kawhi Leonard wouldn't want to stay in the mix with the Clippers because the situation they have, they work with them, they work around them, they abide by um, all of the stuff in terms of his load management. Even though it hasn't been as prominent this season, he has more had more significant injuries than actual management. But he's in a situation right now where he's pretty much gotten everything that he wants. I think with the kind of stuff they did in terms of trying to acquire not only him but PG – there's no way to kind of let them slip. So whether they have to throw a bag at them, make some trades to put some different guys around them, whatever the circumstances are, I think there's no way in the world that the Clippers don't try to cater to these two guys because they already put too many assets into them, whether it's the money, whether it's the circumstances, or shoot, just the trade, with just the draft picks if you're talking about a guy like Paul George. Yeah, 100%. And you mentioned it there. They gave away all their draft capital to the Oklahoma City Thunder and not Paul George trade. So they are going to do everything in their power to keep this duo together for as long as possible. The Knicks are a very interesting situation though. And I like the, um, that you brought them up. They have the cap room. They definitely are a lot more stable than they have been in, um, in previous years. So that I think that is a good tr- um, destination for any of these big time free agents, but with the way like the Clippers kind of have catered to them already, and I think Kawhi Leonard like understands that this like that he kind of like asked for the situation and this is kind of like how he wanted the team built. I think that he has got everything he wanted there in Los Angeles. And I, yeah, I just don't see him leaving. Moving on to the Los Angeles Lakers, Jalen, the Lakers have been battling injuries all season long. What are the chances that the Lakers repeat as champions? I think they're slim, bro. I think it's a circumstance where I think, I mean, their biggest thing is that the war of attrition is tough. I think they're in a position right now kind of similar to the Trailblazers last year in a weird kind of way where, yeah, no, it's not the same kind of fight in terms of being able to stay in the playoff mix, but this is a team that is honestly having to fight for its lives in terms of just being able to make the postseason. You're already starting to see the frustrations with LeBron James in terms of the very idea of the play-in tournament. I'm sure that has a lot to do with the fact that had – this play-in tournament thing not being an issue, 
I think that LeBron James would have probably rested a lot longer. And I think that would have been something that would have been more uh, conducive to the Lakers being able to feel a little bit more comfortable. But because of the playing tournament, they're on their heels. They literally are anxious on a night-to-night basis. Missing out on Schroeder for the next week and a half is going to be something that's going to hit them, despite the fact that it seems like AD is definitely back in full tilt. Missing LeBron James, no matter what anybody says from a continuity standpoint, it's going to be a bit difficult. He came back and had a pretty decent game with 18 points, a couple of dimes, and was definitely out there showing his athleticism. But he re-aggravated his injury and was right back on the shelf again, and now he's missing a couple of games. So I think it's one of those things where injuries are going to riddle them too hard to the point that I think, Ryan, we talked about this off-camera, about the concerns about whether or not they would even make the playoffs, considering the kind of drought they're going through right now from a health standpoint. But if they make the playoffs, they need to be on watch. I know everybody's saying, hey, if you catch the Lakers in the first round, be scared. I think catching them in the first round is your best chance at putting them out. So I think the Lakers have to be careful. Yeah, and what's funny is that this is actually one of the main topics on my last episode. Just talking about if the Lake, like, are people giving the Lakers just too much credit here? I mean, these injuries are a problem. Anthony Davis, I mean, bar last year where he actually had four months rest because of the pandemic, he hasn't gone through a full healthy season and who knows how long. I mean, this is like nothing new in terms of someone like Anthony Davis. LeBron, obviously, he's 36 years old. And he even mentioned himself, he's just he's just not going to be 100% healthy like going forward just because, you know, father time always wins. That is the, that is the all-time saying. I mean, he people still look at him as the best player in the world. I still see him as, like, the best player in the world. But it's not going to last forever. And obviously, as time, like, wears on, I mean, it's going to just continue to get, like, I'm no, I'm knock on wood, it's just going to continue to get worse no matter how healthy LeBron is going to be. And look, 29 games Anthony Davis has played this year. LeBron doesn't look 100%. And I think another big reason why people are like are kind of still too high on the Lakers is that they're kind of underplaying their competition. I mean, people like look at the Jazz. I mean, maybe they say, oh, maybe they're not going to be as good come playoff time. Same thing with the Suns who haven't been there in 11 years. But I think this, like, honestly, like, I like I give them to, along with the Clippers, just a viable of a shot as the Lakers at this point. And that has to do with um, the injuries going on. And Jalen said it perfectly. I mean, if you're going to take down the Lakers, especially if they're, what, a fifth or sixth seed, you're going to get the most vulnerable end the first round. And I think, um, yeah, it's just not going to be an easy cakewalk. I still have the maybe a slight favorites just because I cannot doubt the man LeBron James in that team. But it's going to be a tough, tough road going forward. Well said. I think the Lakers are in a situation where they can either be the most dangerous low seed in the entire playoffs going in, or they can be one of those teams that can get caught real early and everybody kind of slept on the idea of it because at the end of the day, they have LeBron James and that's kind of hard to overlook. So they were going to be one of the, I mean, they've been one of the most polarizing teams all season just because of the fact that everybody has an opinion on what their title run was last season but they're only more polarizing now because they could be the difference between taking somebody else's championship away or tainting LeBron James's legacy even further, which is something that's always kind of an interesting conversation. We're talking about postseason pushes. LeBron is human guys. LeBron is human. (laughs) Moving on to the Memphis Grizzlies and TV. I'll start with you put a grade on the Grizzlies season when factoring how young they are. I have to give them an a minus. I mean, this team, like, no matter like 
this is one of the most underrated teams in the league. I mean, if I ask, like, maybe, like, if we have a group of, like, 30 NBA fans and you ask them who the coach of the Memphis Grizzlies, I bet you 25 of them are not going to know who on earth Taylor Jenkins is. But he has his team playing extremely, like, hard on the defensive end. John Morant, I know that Zion has been better than him this year, but him as a leader has been just absolutely fantastic for them over the last two seasons. They even got some great um, production from Valanciunas, who's having his best season of his career. Um, one of the, like I said, one of the best defenses in the league. They're they're getting some good production out of people like Xavier Tillman, Desmond Bain. I mean, it's it's just a team that is just like, um, for some reason, just like work hard together and stuff like that. And although they might not make noise in the first round, I mean, they're just going to be gritty. It's, I mean, it's not like the Grand City like back in the day with Marcus Gasol, Mike Conley, and all them. But it's a new type of grit. It's a team that. Not a lot of people know, but they're out there going to be willing to fight every single night. And John Moran, being the leader that he is, you know, he's just going to continue to grow from this experience. And I honestly hope we see him in the playoffs because I, th- I just want to see how John Moran kind of handles that type of um, pressure. I mean, I got to agree with TV's like grading. I got to put it somewhere between between an A and an A minus because you have to factor in Triple J has been out for the entire season just up until recently. Factor in the fact that Justice Winslow, this was a guy who was on the shelf for most for the most of the last season, most of this season, hasn't really played very well this year. Still trying to get an understanding of what he's going to be for this team, if he's going to be anything at all. Like TV said beforehand, they're getting a lot of production out of guys that are not really on other teams, I don't think they're going to get high rotational minutes, but on this team, they play about 10 to ten to 11 deep. I mean, got Desmond Bain, like you said before, Xavier, Till- Xavier Tillman. Obviously, you're also looking at guys like Grayson Allen, who's played very big minutes for them. Dylan Brooks has been a guy who's been able to hold the fort down. Valanciunas, when healthy, I mean, dude, buckets and, buckets and boards galore. He's going to give you at least 10 to 10 bare minimum. And he's, he's, he's a guy inside for them that's, you know, very um, – conducive to what they do on a night in and night out basis. I think Triple J is obviously the needle mover for them in terms of how dangerous they can be in a playoff setting. But I mean, dude, the Grizzlies have been playing at a really high level this entire season. And if you told me that they're going into year two of John Morant being in the playoff mix again, the first two seasons of having him as their lead guard in a circumstance where their team is pretty much young across the board, even with quote unquote older guys like Tillman and Brandon Clark on the roster. I think you gotta you gotta you know tip your cap to them with the fact that they're playing at such a high level. There was a comparisons early on in the year as to you know whether or not Steph Curry really deserved any excuses with the way that he wasn't carrying the Warriors when looking at a team like Memphis and the way John Morant was carrying them. So that just goes to show you the kind of player that John Morant is, and just goes to show you how resilient this team is too. Yeah, and I had this team like kind of low in my prediction in terms of the Western standings because of that Jaron Jackson Jr. injury. And if anything, I mean, Jonas Valanciunas has been the biggest factor of stepping up. Grayson Allen, you mentioned over there, he's having a very good season where I thought that he wouldn't even get too many minutes for this Memphis Grizzly team. He's showed out a lot. And it's very promising for like the future of this team. I think that this, I think the Grizzlies probably expected this to be like a lot longer of a rebuild or not, but they got the pieces there. People are, are underrating Jaron Jackson Jr. heavily. I'm a huge fan of his, of his. And I think that whether they make it past the playing tournament or not, I think there's a lot of things to be very happy about if you're this team going forward. One piece away, guys. I think there's still just one piece. Oh, yeah, 100%. Moving on to the Minnesota Timberwolves. And Jalen, I want to start with you. Carl Anthony Towns has been the franchise player for Minnesota in the time that he has been there. 
And it looks like Minnesota is in the process of another rebuild. With that being the case, what is the future of Carl Anthony Towns in Minnesota? Man, I think the funny part about it is at the end of the day, Cat's going to make Cat's call. I don't think this is anything that the front office is going to determine. You got to have some big cojones to trade a guy of that caliber, um, especially with the fact that he's still under contract for a significant amount of time. They made a trade for D'Angelo Russell to move Andrew Wiggins and acquire some draft uh, equity as well. That's something that can't go unscathed when you think about trading a guy like Cat because you almost kind of have to look at D'Angelo Russell as a bit of a package deal in that circumstance. I think that's what makes their draft situation so interesting because if you grab a point guard, how much does that disrupt the chemistry in terms of having a guy like D'Angelo Russell next to a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, who's your franchise player? If you grab a shooting guard in this draft, like a like a Jalen Green, are you only stunting the growth of Anthony Edwards, who we saw actually have a coming out party when we saw a dude like Malik Beasley start to take less minutes either because of his suspension or just simply not being on the floor then you move down the line you know if you grab a guy like Evan Mobley at center can Evan Mobley play next to a guy like Cat? you know what I mean that's one of those bigger things from a continuity standpoint so I think the biggest thing with their future is really the it starts with the draft it's figuring out what they do with the draft because I think Carl Anthony Towns is the I mean he's the one that's going to have the pulse on this franchise for good or for bad and the way that they go about drafting is going to tell us a lot about how they either value him or how they value this team moving forward in terms of what they want. Because D'Angelo Russell and Kyle Anthony Towns are not going to are not going to be on this team forever, I don't think. Um, but it's going to take their contracts running out or at least getting on the lower end where they can be a little bit easier to trade before there's going to be any kind of moves made in a way that's going to be out of Cat's hands and more in the hands of the franchise. So it's going to just be interesting. Like I said, Cat's got a lot of the pool right now. So who knows? Uh, where have I heard this story before? Where have I heard this story before? <laughs> Kentucky big man on a rebuilding team for multiple years. Where have I heard this story before? Oh, yeah, Anthony Davis. This is eerily similar to what at least the Pelicans have have done with Anthony Davis. Sure, he made it to the second round once. I mean, Cat hasn't even made the, the playoffs without Jimmy Butler, so we haven't really seen him make the playoffs as a number one guy. But it's as similar as you're going to get. I think that the Timberwolves have um, literally a two-year, maybe even less of a timer to keep Carl Anthony Towns in that team. And they're probably going to have another top five pick. I mean, looking through this roster, maybe Jonathan Kaminga could could be a good piece for that team, like another wing, just because maybe you don't want to disrupt things with D'Angelo Russell, with Anthony Edwards, with Cat. He kind of fits as like the best in terms of fit. But at the end of the day, I mean, you have talent there. There's talent there in Minnesota. Can they do something to put this together? I do not. I'm still like unsure of that. And if they don't turn this around quickly, Carl Anthony Towns is just going to do exactly what James Harden did, do the same thing what Anthony Davis did, because he is going to um, is going to is in his mid twenties right now, going into his late twenties. He wants success at some point, and it's what someone of his caliber. He's going to have that power there in Minnesota, a small market team. It's I mean they're just they're not going to attract any free agents. I mean they've been trying to build through this draft this whole time, picking up people like Jared Culver and stuff like um, Anthony Edwards and stuff like that, but. It hasn't really worked out, and I think that the the, um, the Timberwolves timer is just slowly running out on keeping Carl Anthony Towns around. I agree. I honestly think that they're in a circumstance where the clock is ticking. Unfortunately, I think they got to start making decisions quickly. Unfortunately, I think that means that there's going to be a lot of irrational calls too. Moving on to New Orleans and TV, I want to start with you. Last year, the Pelicans were very close to making the playoffs 
but missed out after they struggled to win games in the bubble. With Zion's minutes not as much of an issue as it was last year, what will Zion's impact be like if the Pelicans make the play-in tournament? Zion has to be the absolute monster that he has been this entire season. He has been the first player since Shaq to like average over 20 points in the paint. I mean, I think I don't think I'm like over exaggerating when I say that he has like been the most dominant paid presence in uh, this entire season. But the thing about Zion is that he can only do so much. This team is still one of the worst three-point shooting teams in basketball. I mean, Lonzo Ball, he's had some great moments this season. I mean, yesterday, as an example, 33 points. He was absolutely fantastic. But there hasn't been that reliable three-point shooter, like, on their team. Um, Like, just reliable kind of, like, pieces that could fit around Zion. I know they signed Brandon Ingram long-term, and I think he's going to stay there. But there's going to be some decisions they're going to have to make. Are they going to... Um, bring back Lonzo Ball. I'm still not sure. I think that he would fit, but I understand if they want to put their assets into something else. Eric Bledsoe, I don't know how he's still getting as many minutes as he's getting. I mean, I, I am like, I just, I'm just not a huge fan of Eric Bledsoe at all since his Milwaukee days, but there, this team just doesn't fit the way that Zion Williamson is like um, Zion Williamson's play style. And they're going to have to make some big decisions come this off season because I mentioned it with Carl Anthony Towns, if they do not like get this right already, they, they could find themselves in another Anthony Davis situation and the Pelicans do not want to go through that again. I mean, I'm going to piggyback off of where TV said about the, the team being one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league. I think what makes it even worse, they're also not one of the better defensive teams in the league either. Turnstiles across the board, despite the fact that they have a handful of guys who have defensive acumen. I think Lonzo Ball is a guy who can guard the one through three. I think Zion Williamson has the measurables. He showed it in Duke, at Duke, which is the most interesting thing about it. He's shown off the measurables that he can be a full-on switch defender or at least a good help defender. Steven Adams built himself off of being a guy down low as a, as a paint presence. But that tandem between those two is just hasn't been working out. Eric Bledsoe, like you said beforehand, I think the biggest thing about him is that his three-point shot isn't falling, and he's not really locking up on defense either. Brandon Ingram has never really been any guy that's going to sit in the chair um, throughout the entirety of his career so far. So I think the biggest thing is when you don't shoot the three well and you don't defend at a high clip, like you said beforehand, Zion Williamson can do as much as he humanly wants to, but I think at the end of the day, you want to run into a buzzsaw where, I mean, we just saw it the other day when they took on the Warriors, they're in a circumstance where if you're getting a shootout and you're telling me it's Zion versus Steph Curry, you already know who I'm taking. It's not going to be, yeah. it's not going to be Zion. I promise you that. So yeah. I think that only puts in perspective just where they fit in this playoff scenario, because in the play play in situation, they're, they're staring at a situation where out of the four or five teams, that are going to continuously float through this mix over the, na- the, the last week or two of this season, they might be the fourth or fifth best team in that in that lineup. And that's going to be one of those things that's going to look really tough for them if they even crack that 10 and have a chance to play their way into the tournament. Yeah, just getting to that 10 seed is going to be hard enough. I believe there's only there's still like three games behind the 10 seed. So with seven or eight games remaining, it's going to be extremely tough. And what I don't understand, I mean, you mentioned all those like defensive sort of pieces that they have in Lonzo, Eric Bledsoe, Stephen Adams. They brought in Jeff, um, Stan Van Gundy, who is who we are being told is a defensive coach or something like that, and nothing has gone right for them on that end. So, what is their identity? They still don't know what their identity is. Their identity is Zion. That's all. That, <laughs> that's like that. That's all they are at this moment. And 
like I mentioned earlier, they just need to make those type of pieces. Like, or they have to like do something with this team, like significantly, just to try and get them there next year. Because this year was supposed to be that year to take the next step. It still hasn't happened, so changes are definitely going to be com- coming soon. Moving on to the Oklahoma City Thunder and Jalen on a team that is clearly rebuilding. Who is one player not named Shea Gilgis Alexander that has really impressed you this season? Yes, sir. So honestly, I kind of love this question because of the fact that I feel like Shea is such an easy bail. I also feel like Lugans Dort is another guy that's so easy to talk about. But you already know, TV, who we got to talk about. It's Alexei Pokusevsky, dude. We're talking about a guy who is extremely interesting with his skill set. I think this is a guy that I, after coming back from the G League bubble, has really came back with a little bit of swag in his game. I was like, okay, my guy's out here facilitating. He's finally hitting three. The main thing that I'm really enjoying from him is that he's putting the ball on the floor. I still, my bigger gripe with him is the fact that he's not getting to the free throw line. And with that kind of extensive range, I think he's a guy that if he can continue to put his put the ball on the floor and create contact, drive with that kind of length that he has, I think he's going to be a really interesting player if he can just become a little bit more aggressive around the rim. I think Pokusevsky is in a situation where with Oklahoma City, they're going to be constantly trying to work towards developing these guys on a night-to-night basis. The more burn this guy gets, the more we're going to be able to see exactly what kind of skill set he has because we continue to see flashes. But I don't think we've even un- – I don't think OKC has even unlocked a fraction of who Pokusevsky actually can be as a real – as a fully realized basketball player. Yeah, 100%. He is definitely, I think, the, the NBA's biggest project in the sense where he has all the tools to be a great NBA player. He – for me, he's kind of like the new age type of unicorn, kind of how um, how kind of Porzingis is. Like, I could see that in the future for Porkusevsky. But, yeah, I was going to go off, off about him, but Jalen already did that. But I, let, let's bring it back to Dort. Let's bring it back to Lou Dort. <laughs> let's bring it <laughs> yes, back. OKC has honestly been my kind of probably my second favorite team this year just because, you know, the Canadian backcourt of him and Shea has been absolutely fantastic this year. And Lou Dort, man, the fact that they gave this guy a three-year, $5 million contract is absolute robbery. This guy is a, has an absolutely fantastic NBA player, plays hard on the defensive end, has definitely approved on the offensive end. And, man, he is just becoming a fan favorite over there. I think he's becoming one of my favorite players in the league just to watch, like, this stocky dude trying to, like, throw up some threes and somehow they're going in, him locking up your, like, your, like the other team's best player. I mean – this, this team was supposed to tank this year and they had to purposely shut down Al Horford, um, Shea Godis Alexander, just so they can get back into like the lot, like to the high lottery picks. I mean, there's a lot um, going right for this team. They already have people like Baisley, like he's like Shea Godis Alexander, obviously Poku and Lou Dort. I mean, they have a nice basis there. Pair that up with maybe an Evan Mobley come to playoffs and uh, come the draft. There is a lot to like about this team. And with the way, um, their coaching stuff, I have a lot of faith in them going forward. Yeah, I mean, if you look across the board, man, Theo Maladon, Darius Baisley, uh, Moses Brown. Yeah, I'm honestly, you can just pick a player on this roster and rave about them because in some stretch, they've given you something to look forward to. So I think they're just an interesting team overall, being one of the younger squads. And the fact that this team has a million draft picks means we could probably be asking this question just about every season. They literally gave Moses Brown less minutes because they were helping them win. I mean, get out of here. <laughs> get out of here. Moving on to the Phoenix Suns and TV, I want to start with you. Devin Booker will be making the playoffs for the first time in his career. 
Do you expect him to have the same effect on the Suns in the playoffs as he did in the bubble? Yes, 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 yes. I am all in on Devin Booker. I've been like, like many NBA fans, we have been waiting for years to see him come playoff time. And I even think he's going to become better than what he does in the regular season. I think this is his chance to kind of elevate himself. I mean, what like we could confidently say he's like a top 20, maybe bordering top 15 player in the NBA. I think that with a fantastic player front coming forward with the great team he has around him, I think he can even elevate himself into that top 10 conversation just because he is so smooth on the ball. One of the best shooters in basketball can create his own shot. He is just like one of those players who I feel like is built for playoff basketball. And he's just going to show it. Like when it comes to these pressure situations, he is not afraid. He can score from the inside, outside mid range. You got someone like Chris Paul facilitating you the ball. You have these, you have the role players of the Suns playing extremely well. I, I am extremely high in this team and I'm, and I'm very confident that Devin Booker, can not only replicate what he did in the bubble in this season, but he can even take it to an even higher level. And I mean, I'm not going to say that we should expect it, but I think that we have a little bit of a sample size in terms of being able to look at the next ascension of these young guys who are really showing out in playoff scenarios. I mean, we saw the battle of Donovan Mitchell and Jamal Murray last year, and these guys hit an ilk that literally coming into this season, it changed a lot of people's view on the Denver Nuggets entirely just because the idea was if Jamal Murray was that guy in the bubble, the Nuggets are a completely different animal than anything we could have anticipated beforehand. And I think it goes into the same thing with Donovan and Mitchell I understand that the Jazz are kind of looked at a bit sideways compared to the the old Atlanta Hawks team that sent all those all-stars onto the all-star game but they weren't real there was no real overbearing player look at the end of the day regardless of how balanced the Utah Jazz are Donovan Mitchell is one of the top five guys in usage rate he's out there trying to go get a bucket just like everybody else is and I think that Devin Booker is in a position right now with the team around him with the way that they play defense with the guys that they have inside and with Chris Paul being their main facilitator he's going to be able to go out there and eat hit big shots play his game and I think at the end of the day the biggest thing too is going to be the fact that it's been a lot of chatter about the Suns being too young I don't think anybody wants to hear that once the ball gets thrown up in the air for tip-off. I think that Devin Booker is going to come out and swing because he hears all the noise. He's heard all the noise for the entire time. He's on the big stage now. I don't see why he wouldn't rise to the occasion at all. He has been waiting for this ever since he came in um, to the NBA. Being in a winning college like Kentucky, he was built on winning, and he hasn't had that opportunity yet in the NBA, and now he's finally going to get it. I think he's going to rise to the occasion, like Jalen says. And honestly, I expect, like, don't be surprised if this team goes on to the conference finals and maybe we'll shock a, a few a few guys and maybe get to the finals. They have the roster built there. They have the defense. They have the offense. They have the veteran leadership. They honestly are a very, very well-built team with Devin Booker at the lead. This team could be absolutely dangerous, and Devin Booker is going to show out this playoffs. Moving on to the Portland Trailblazers. And Jalen, they've recently acquired Norman Powell in a trade with TV's Toronto Raptors. How do you think Powell is doing so far and what effect will he have on the Blazers when they get to the playoffs? So, I mean, that's the big thing. It's kind of tricky because the whole thing with them is that I think by adding Norman Powell, all you did was add more offense to a team that kind of already understands that they have to put up high volume points in order to be able to hang in the games. I think the bigger thing with them is that Norman Powell was a guy to acquire to take a little bit of the pressure off of Damian Lillard. You could tell that over the course of the last couple of games and especially over the last maybe month or two, especially 
obviously dealing with his injuries, that they kind of just needed another guy to help him pull the gas up if they're going to make any kind of actual noise in the playoffs. So I think that Norman Powell is just another guy that they can put the ball in and put it in his hands. I think he's a guy who can have some on and off splits with Dame or CJ. I think he's a guy who can actually, you know, run the offense to a lesser degree, plays with a very high motor, which is something that they definitely kind of thrive off on across the board with guys like Nasir Little, Yusuf Nurkic, Derek Jones Jr. They've got guys across the board that kind of play with that high motor, and I think that Norman Powell kind of falls into suit. I think he's a guy that come playoff time, if he gets some serious burn the way I believe he is, I would not be surprised if he hit a big shot or two to really help his team. And I think they're in a circumstance where I think the Trailblazers should actually look to a guy like Norman Powell down the stretch of games, because I think he's a guy who can create his own shot in a way that only provides them with another offensive threat that other teams are going to have to deal with. And in a playoff setting, the more weapons you have to put a ball in the basket, the more your head's on a swivel. And I think that's going to be really important if the Trailblazers, again, want to make any kind of noise. I think I'm the perfect person for this question because I've seen Norman (laughs) Powell play for my Toronto Raptors for the past six years. And look, we the Raptor fans, even Raptor, like just like the Raptors have, um, like kind of beheaded, like put onto the nickname Playoff Powell for a reason. This guy shows up come playoff time. He was awesome in those Milwaukee series back in the day. And as a Raptor fan, we just know that he is going to perform in the playoffs. I think what this trade did when trading away Gary Trent Jr. to Toronto and acquiring Norman Powell is like, look. We are horrible on defense anyway. Let us just go all in with the offense and just go, like, just shoot as much as possible because that's the only way they're going to win. That is the only way they're going to win. They brought in Covington and they brought in Derek Jones Jr. over the offseason. And what did they do? Absolutely nothing to their defense. In fact, it got worse. It got worse, which I didn't think was humanly possible. But they they know what they are. This is basically now or never for this Portland Trailblazers core of CJ and Dame. There are already reports that Terry Stotts is in the hot seat. He's probably going to be gone after this year. And I guess late in games, if they can even keep it close, I mean, they, they have three guys there that can um, that can um, definitely perform late in games and CJ, Norman, Damian Lillard. But the thing is, like, they're just not going to stop anyone at the end of these games. And this is why I think that the trade wasn't, like, the smartest. I mean, from the Raptors perspective, I think it's good getting a young player, especially we're going to have to pay Norm probably close to 20 million. I mean, it made sense, but getting rid of a defensive piece like Gary Trent Jr. that you could probably build into a very good player because he's shown that in the Raptors as well. But Norman Powell, this trade was just for the season. They basically went all out here, just hoping that their offense is going to be able to carry them. I don't think that's going to work out. It's probably going to end up like not too good for the Portland Trailblazers, but in terms of him having an impact in the playoffs, I already know he's going to make that impact. Moving on to our next team is Sacramento and TV. I want to start with you on this one. Sacramento has not made the playoffs since 2006. And this team is on the verge of missing the playoffs for yet another season. And they have a lot of talented players on this team. De'Aaron Fox, Rashawn Holmes, Buddy Heald, Harrison Barnes. Make your case for one of these players leaving the Kings. And where do you think they should go? Uh, uh, I, the buddy healed. I, I like him going. I mean, first he already had some riffs with the Kings organization in the past. I don't know why they even kept him around this year. It felt like it was like eventually he was going to get, um, traded away last off season, but I think it's time, time for him, um, time for him to go. Finally, I think it's time to get rid of a lot of people besides Ty, um, basically everyone besides Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox and just kind of start from there. But buddy healed. I can see him in like, 
a great situation maybe in Philadelphia, I think would be a really good spot for him. They have pieces there they could trade. I think he would be an absolutely um, good for them. I Just giving them another dimension from sh- from a shooting perspective, he would be really good there. And as for like, the other guys like Harrison Barnes and stuff like that, they're just solid players that could help out a lot of teams in this league. But if I had to zone in on one, Buddy Hill to the 76ers in the offseason, I think that it would be a really, really good pickup for them. I think that it's interesting that you pick Buddy Hill just because of the fact that I think the 76ers, obviously the circumstances that, that, that they're going to have to make a trade for him. I think Buddy Hill is like signed all the way up till 2024. Rashawn Holmes is the guy for me because he's the guy that's an unrestricted free agent this upcoming summer. So he's in a circumstance where he's going to be able to pick his own destiny. And there's going to be a lot of interesting teams that are probably going to be wagging their finger out looking for a center. I think Charlotte is a really interesting team in that circumstance because that's something that I thought they were going to try to build upon at the trade deadline, it didn't really make any moves. I think being able to go after a guy like that at the center position is probably kind of interesting for him. I think a team like the Celtics in the East as well, a team that, I mean, they can't seem to get an understanding that Robert Williams is a guy they need to play heavy minutes. So why not go ahead and invest in another guy who you know is going to, you know, is a, a guy who's a little bit more of a proven commodity, you know, have to really kind of throw him out to the wolves. You can see that Rashawn Holmes has been making significant strides over the last couple of games. I think that there's a lot of different teams across the league that could definitely use a guy like Rashawn Holmes' services, especially with the fact that he's been slowly but surely getting better and better by the game. So I think the fact that his availability with him being an unrestricted free agent so recently helps him in being a guy who could definitely – he's obviously going to hit the free agent market sooner, and that also makes it where he could be a guy who could really make some noise on the market as a guy that the Kings – the Kings can't actualize him, but I promise you somebody else who has center needs can definitely do something with Rashawn Holmes down low. Yeah, Rashawn Holmes, I, I've been really impressed with him, like not just this season, but also last season and the growth of his game. I mean, the Celtics problem I don't think is like maybe like a – like I mean, obviously the center is a big, massive um, pull for them, but I just think they need to get someone bigger. I think like honestly the Charlotte Hornets – would be a great pickup, um, um, would be a great place for Sean Holmes. Just an energy guy who will play hard on both ends. He would be great there. But in just terms of this Kings team, just there's just so many guys I think that can help out other teams. But when you put them together on this Kings team, it's just not going to work out. That's why I mentioned earlier that they should probably just blow it up and just keep around De'Aaron Fox and Halliburton. But we're going to have to wait and see. They have a lot of like good pieces there, and I think um, it's not going to be impossible to trade any of them. So let's see what's going to happen this offseason. Moving on to the San Antonio Spurs and Jalen, San Antonio is a team that could make the playoffs if they can make it through this playing tournament. If they don't, they miss the playoffs for the second year in a row. If this is the case, what do you believe is the future for Greg Popovich? Man, I think that the timetable is clicking even more when you move a guy like LaMarcus Aldridge via, I mean, you didn't, they didn't even trade him. They kind of just let him walk. And then you look at the fact that DeMar uh, DeRozan is going to be a free agent as well. He's going to be a guy who could easily command a lot of money somewhere else with the way that he's been on his point DeMar tip over the last couple of months. I think that the, that this team, with the fact that they're extremely young, I don't know if Pop is willing to stick around for a rebuild. I think if DeMar DeRozan moves on, they're pretty much a young team with a lot of interesting pieces. You look across the board, Yaka Pertl has been very interesting throughout this season. 
Um, I mean, you got to look at guys like Lonnie Walker. DeJounte Murray went healthy. His biggest issue is just staying on the floor. Keldon Johnson, I think, is a wild card for him, for them, because he's a guy who I think he has significant upside. They've got guys across the board that they can definitely develop, and you would love to have, co- have a coach like Pop be the guy to do it. But at the same time, how long is he going to stick around for a rebuild, knowing that if some of their veteran guys, even Patty Mills is a guy who has to come into question at some point in terms of how long he's going to be left on this team. Moving forward, there's going to be a circumstance where at least within the next season or two, there's going to have to be a change of guard at some point in terms of the roster itself. And I think that that as collateral to a certain extent, that's going to come with losing your coach in the meantime as well. So I think they might want to start plucking at that tree that Popovich has working under him and see who they might want to be cropping to uh or might be to be uh working towards having be next man up because I think they literally maybe have a season left at best. Yeah, and I think I mean obviously Pop, one of the greatest coaches of all time. Um, I think this is a like a nice like exit for him in a sense where maybe he's not gonna make the playoffs, but with DeMar DeRozan leaving, there's gonna be probably no like all of their kind of veterans are gonna be gone. I mean, they're probably gonna be looking to trade Rudy Gay in the offseason as well, along with that. I think it's going to be a fine exit for Pop. I mean, he's done everything there has to be done in terms of an NBA coaching career. So I think it's a, a good time to exit. And maybe it's a time for them to kind of move into that next like chapter of the Spurs with DeJounte Murray, Lonnie Walker. They have some pieces there. And maybe even just like not even hiring someone from outside the organization. I mean, Greg Popovich has been bigging up Becky Hammond over the last few years in terms of being a head coach. And I think that this is the perfect opportunity to kind of pass the torch with a new chapter with the Spurs comes a new chapter in terms of coaching as well, like Jalen said, and and it's going to be collateral with like getting rid of all their old guys along with Popovich. So it's just basically the passing of the torch at this point. I would love to see Becky Hammond be the coach of that team. And I think this is a good way as like a nice civilization that the Spurs are moving forward. This is no longer the team that uh, made the playoffs 20 straight years. It's, it's just a new Spurs and I think that comes with getting rid of Pop, unfortunately. Yeah, Ryan, we've been very big on the idea of Becky Hammond being the next up coach. I think this would be a perfect situation for that to be the case. I think it's one of those things that's going to be a band-aid that you have to rip off sooner rather than later. You can't let that sore fester anymore. Got to start really working towards building this team with the young guys that they have. Moving on to our last Western Conference team, the Utah Jazz. And TV, Utah is a team that has a lot of efficient shooters and depth on this team. Who is one player outside of Donovan Mitchell that you expect to make an impact in the playoffs? I believe that Boyan Bogdanovich is going to make a massive impact come playoff time. I mean, last year he didn't even get to play because of a shoulder injury. And you know that was going to make a huge difference in that Denver Nuggets series, having another, at least at that time, a 20-point-per-game score on that team. That would have helped out a bunch. And now he's here in the playoffs this year. Like you mentioned, one of like probably, the, I think, the best three-point shooting team in basketball right now. They have that going for them, one of the best defenses. Having Bojan Bogdanovic, where we've seen him in situations, actually get the ball late in games. Like, not Donovan Mitchell sometimes. Like, Boyan is kind of that secondary guy who can get the ball and create his own shot, maybe get a clutch three late in the game. He's going to be extremely important to this team. Probably not going to handle the ball much, but he is someone that can hit shots. And I think that's going to be the biggest um, kind of barrier that they're going to have to face come playoff time because one of their biggest issues 
I mean, one is defensively with Rudy Gobert and trying to keep him on the floor. But as them is just trying to get past like that offensive barrier, like would um, Donovan Mitchell being basically their um, their lead guy. But if other guys can help him, like a boy on Bogdanovich who is able to consistently hit a shot, I think that's going to be a big game changer for that team. TV, before I kind of uh, expound upon what you said and kind of answer Ryan's question, I kind of want to like double down on that with my question of my own. Like, how do you feel about Utah as a team going into the playoffs in general? This is a team that been, has been questioned throughout the year. One of the bigger things that's always been kind of thrown in their face is the fact that they haven't performed at the same level they do against under 500 teams as they do against teams that you know are going to be in the playoff hunt or in the playoff mix. How do you feel about Utah as a team in general, not just in the Western Conference versus the field, but just in general as a legit playoff or title contending team in general? Uh, The biggest thing there is overcoming that Rudy Gobert obstacle because over the past two years, the the issue with the Jazz and why they can't not get over the comp is that the Houston Rockets two years ago were able to go small and play Rudy Gobert off the court. Same thing last year. I mean, obviously he got to stay on the court, but he wasn't. But Jokic took him outside, and it was like basically game over there because you took Rudy Gobert out of the paint. It's trying to get over that hurdle because if you can keep Rudy Gobert on the court, that defense is going to be fantastic. And now that they added that extra element to their game this year compared to other years in that three point shooting, it makes them kind of their best chance like going forward here. Now, the other teams, they kind of know what the Utah Jazz are all about in terms of like, like trying to break down their defense. They like to bring Rudy Gobert outside of the paint. That's the best chance you got. But it's all, but if they can, if he can stay on the floor, if the Jazz can continue to hit their shots, I think they're more comfortable keeping him on the floor and not having to make those like significant adjustments come um, playoff time. So the reason why I ask you that is honestly because I think that Rudy Gobert is the guy that they, that they have to watch, the guy that everybody has to keep an eye on in terms of uh, the playoffs for Utah because I agree that Bogdanovich is huge because of the fact that they missed him last season and that gives them, them another offensive option that they didn't necessarily have and I think he would have came up pretty huge in that Denver series. But getting past that Rudy Gobert situation with the fact that they are not a switching team, it's one of those things that when you get into half-court basketball uh, throughout the playoffs, that's one of those things that has been killing them over the last two seasons and I think that one of the bigger things is that Rudy he's slowly becoming a little bit better as an offensive threat but we also still understand that he has a very limited skill set so he's a guy that when an offensive situation we know that it's four on five which honestly only puts more onus on guys like Bogdanovich on guys like Mitchell on guys like even Jordan Clarkson or Joe Ingles when they're in the game to be able to put up points because they know that from an offensive standpoint you're missing that productivity from that one guy in Rudy Gobert who's mainly getting his minutes off of I mean getting his uh points off of lobs and just high energy high effort game um high effort uh plays around the basket so I think that Rudy Gobert with the fact that he's not a dynamic offensive player and the fact that he people are starting to be able to really pick on him defensively at least within the playoff setting I think that Rudy Gobert is going to be the x factor because he's been holding down this team's defense all season the thing about it is it's never translated to the playoffs. And that's kind of the thing that they need if they're going to be a next level team that wants to be a legit title contender. Yeah. And I think the biggest thing there is that their three point shooting, is it going to carry over come playoff time? Because having that extra element is what has brought them to this number one seed in the first place. If they can maintain that come to playoff time, 
come playoff time, then th- that makes them a completely different team. It makes them, you have to respect them like on the offensive end even more, giving Rudy Gobert more space on the inside to, for him to even be even more effective as an offensive threat. I think that is the biggest thing there. Obviously, Rudy Gobert is going to be the biggest kind of focal point in terms of like people like trying to attack, attack, attack. And I think if they can overcome that, man, this team, it's just on another level this season, but it's all about trying to get over that Rudy Gobert hurdle. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, do you believe Utah will be the top seed in the Western Conference before the season is over? We would like to thank our guest TV for finishing out the series with us. It was great to have you back. So on that note, we'll see you guys next episode. Peace.